Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Let's go ahead and bow our, our heads. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place, oh God. We gave you thanks, Lord, that is your voice that resounds in the temple, Lord. And those who stand by night in the house of the Lord lift up their hands to praise you, to thank you, to receive your kingdom, to welcome your established government, O oh God. We pray that this government will increase like you have promised in your word. And there shall be a kingdom without end, that you continue to reveal your purposes to us. And that you teach us the way in which we should go, Lord. That you give us truth, Lord, that we would buy truth and not sell it, O oh God. We pray, Father God, that as gold is precious, Lord, your word far surpasses, Father God, the increase of our economic standing when we have your blessing, O oh God. We pray that your word tonight would return not void, O oh God. That it would further the work that you have called it to do in our hearts, O oh God. That we would be more established, more rooted, more founded, more steadfast in our Christian faith in a time where so many are wavering, O oh God. So many are backtracking. So many are growing cold in their love, O oh God. We pray that you continue to allow your fire to burn in our hearts, O oh God, and your spirit to influence our lives, to honoring you in all things, O oh God. Let your word be settled in our hearts tonight. And let us establish your truth, O oh God, that exposes all lies, all deception. Father, we pray that you would prosper your word in our hearts and in our lives, in our families, and in this church, O oh God, that we would be a beacon of light in the crooked and dark generation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's start out with the concept that we have uh, been born into God and the kingdom of God. And we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15. Could somebody go ahead and give me a copy of, of the book, please? Um, but we're going to start out here. And, 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 you know, different dynamics in this restoring the refuse gate or what's known as the dung gate. Uh, it's one of the gates that was there in the city of Jerusalem during the times of Nehemiah chapter 3. And it served its purpose, even though we have not seen an effective refuse gate in our modern times. There's very few churches that even would acknowledge having such a gate. Um, but let's go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 15 first. And there it says real powerfully that the child that is born of the virgin he will eat curds which is a form of milk and honey curds is is more than milk it's butter it's the most refined aspect of nutrition in uh, the development of a child the best of things are to be given to him from the time he's a child how many agree with me we live in a really twisted uh, mind frame. We, we, we live in a world, and I was seeing a video of some of the most depraved 
music known to man. You, how many have heard uh, the group Nirvana, uh, Kurt Cobain, a rock group? And he says, we have finally found the root of integrity. The root of integrity with Kurt Cobain's music. And I'm like, what? What, what, is, what is this that they would characterize depravity with integrity? Nothing to do. The man shoots himself and commits suicide. He has an eight-year-old daughter. When she grows up and is like 16 or 17, she divorces her mom, Courtney Love. So, so here, twisted things are taking place in our world. And I don't know about you, but when I, before I got saved, I didn't know what was right or wrong. Didn't have a clue. In fact, everything that I liked was wrong. And I thought it was fun and right. And so it's necessary, and the promise of God is, as newborn children, uh, Jesus' game plan is that we would have butter and honey, and we shall eat these things with a purpose. What's the purpose? So that we might know to refuse evil and choose good. If, if that's not your desire in Christ, you are a very poor specimen. You're a poor fellow. Um, we know we're not very good at doing this as a child. So you need to be trained up in deciding caca and cocoa. Caca and cocoa. Which one am I going to choose? And, and if you do it to a child, he won't know the difference. They won't know the difference. And, and you give a child um, a rock, and you give a, a child a Rolex. And I guarantee you, if you go to canoe with a child, if you're canoeing on a lake, and you give a child a rock, he'll throw it in the lake. And if you give him a Rolex, he'll throw it in the lake. Because he has no clue between right and wrong, what's valuable and what's not valuable, and this is normal for a child. That's why the Lord promised he would put mentors and teachers. And he says, don't despise when somebody's drawing a line for you. Because it's for your own good. And so this is the hallmark of the refuse gate. What are we going to do with a church who doesn't care about right or wrong? About holy and unclean. About Good and bad. What are we going to do with a church like that? It's useless. Because we are the people of God that are being trained up to draw a line between right and wrong. And so the refuse gate is just that. There are certain things that God decided he doesn't want in his house. And we're not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Some people do. There's nothing more precious to God than a soul. But even he has chosen certain souls not to be a part of the church. And so that refuse gate really teaches us that we're not to call good things bad or bad things good. And, and we are a people that know that there's grave judgment on this in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Where it says, judgment upon those who call good things bad and bad things good. 
And this is our battle constantly in the church, in the world. And they called me last week to ask me why two men shouldn't father a child. That's ridiculous. But that's where we're at as a people. They have no clue. And the Bible says, and you can read with me, woe to those who call evil good and good evil and who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And they tell me, Pastor, what's wrong with this? And I'm like, nothing. Just do whatever you want. If nothing matters, then why are you asking me what's right or wrong? So even God in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 4, he says that he found the earth. We could go to verse 2 first. Everything was upside down. The earth had no form. It was totally void. It was full of darkness. But the Spirit of God came, and the Word of God spoke, let there be light. And it says in verse 4, and God, say with me, divided the light from the darkness. He did that from the beginning. And He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And the counsel of God will stand. He's not going to change His mind because we're in the modern age. There's, There's... There's a course of destruction that follows doing things that are wrong. God is not telling you don't do wrong things because he's a religious bigot or fanatic. It's wrong because you will suffer for it. You will suffer gravely. So even last week, a young man comes up to me and says, Pastor, two years ago I moved in with a girl and I didn't, her parents didn't want me to, but I did anyways. And I moved in with her. And now she wants to move out. I go, duh, you don't have a covenant. And God intended for you to have a covenant so she wouldn't go back. But since you disregarded God, now you have a mess in your hands. And you're heartbroken. And you're suffering. And God never wanted any of that for you. But you didn't go to God. He didn't build you. Instead of instruction, you're destruction. You're, you're coming apart, and it's sad, and I know your heart. But we need to know what's right and wrong, and we need to love the things that are right. We need to want to hang out with those people that are able to embrace what is true. And, and the opposite is deception. And deception is a great uh, cause of suffering for our life as people. But you'll see he separated the light from the darkness. He put, he put things in order. And he called, uh, he says in verse 6, let the firmaments in the midst of the waters and let them divide the waters from the waters. In verse 7 it says, God made the firmament and divided the waters. God is always separating and putting things in their place. What are we doing? We're mixing the pie. We, 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 oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Everything's fine. And guess what? That's a chaotic life. And you'll see in our generation, more than anywhere else, they're coming up with these issues. And nobody knows what the heck they're doing. And so here comes the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. I thank God the day I walked into church and everything started 
splitting up, and I understood the difference between lust and love, blessing and curse. And God, God, you know, as we mature in these things, and we could go to Hebrews 5, where it says, as a child, you don't know how to do these things. You don't, you don't know how to separate which, that which is good from that which is bad. And so part of maturity, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, by now you guys should have already had this together. But you continue to drop the ball, and so you're not, you're not solid. Look what it says in, in chapter 5, verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But the solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that means maturity, those who by reason of their experience and use have their senses exercised, say with me, to discern both good and evil. Guys, you're, you're half asleep here tonight. We'll just go on to the Lord's Supper. Um, listen, the world needs you to know. This is not something. <laughs> listen, you need to know and then shout it out loud. Because our kids are super confused. Because we're so withdrawn and reserved. And everybody's like, I don't know, go live with your boyfriend. I don't know. Marry somebody who's not a Christian. I don't know. You know, so watch this, what, what Paul says. And, and thank God for men like Paul. Thank God for men who are bold like Nehemiah and grab people by the hair and says, this is the Sabbath day. And he grabbed people by the hair and dragged them out of the city. Why? Because they had already started using the Saturday as a day of commerce. They were doing business. When God had says, keep the Sabbath day holy so that I could bless you. And Nehemiah was like, listen to me. I don't know. It's a very strong pastoral gift there to grab people by the hair. I've never done that. But he grabbed them by the hair and dragged them out the side of the And he says, you're wrong. And so Titus chapter 1 verse, I believe it's 18. See if I find that. Titus 118. He, he goes on to 113. Listen, the only way, how many know that, that either we do this right or we don't do it at all? And so here Paul stands up and he says, this is true testimony. What I'm saying is the real serious truth. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. I don't know about sharp things, but sharp things cut. And, and he's saying, listen, get these people and, and shake them till they're cut in their heart. What for, Paul? Why be so aggressive? So they can keep sound faith. Paul, you're telling me that, that sharp rebuke is what allows people to stay in sound faith? Yes, a violin is not going to do it. Uh, a word that they, oh, que lindo. I love that preaching. It was, was so beautiful. Did you see the, the glow on his face? Listen to me. You're going to need a strong rebuke to bring you out of error. Hey, honey, I, I don't think you should do that. Listen, I praise God for all the fast and furious indignation of my father on my backside. 
I appreciate it the rest of my life that he cared enough to teach me one good lesson after another and beat me till I got it right. Why? Because if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And we have churches now that do not want to speak any word, and God forbid the volume increases. The pastor spoke to me so loud. Yes, because you're about to fall in the pit of hell, my friend. You're about to have an 18-wheeler run you over with all 18 wheels. And so how am I going to sit passively, indifferently, and sit there and watch the devil destroy you? And again, listen, at Jack Keane's uh, conference this weekend, elderly lady came up to me. She said, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I haven't heard a message like that since I was under a tent in the revival days. Because I go to a church now, and my pastor makes me feel good. Because it's all about grace. He never talks about sin. He never rebukes anybody. Listen, I'd rather be dead. If I have to become a pastor that cannot rebuke sharply to keep people to stay the course of sound faith, I'd rather not be up here. So Paul is telling his disciple Titus. So I encourage you guys, get ready to be sons of this house and to rebuke with all sharp sword. Because the Bible says it's a double-edged sword which is sharper than anything you want to see. It was called a, uh, what was it, Mom? A makara? Makaira. That's the, that's the Hebrew word. It was, it was a, a dagger that would cut through armor. It was the most dangerous weapon. This is what Paul is saying in Hebrews 4.12. Let's go there. This is the word he uses. Get a makaira and dig it in their lives. Leave them a mark so that it reaches the difference. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing here it comes again, ready, don't get scared. Even to the division. Oh, why is the church being divided? Because there's people who love truth and people who could care less. There's people who love God and people who love other things as a priority. Dividing. Even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. It gets in there to the thoughts. To the, to the you know, it's, it's, it's. It's well-rooted thoughts that, that are, are competing with the thoughts of God. There's, there are things that go deep into our heart, and the Word of God has to come in there and separate that stuff. This sword, the makara, it was, would, dev- would cut tendons, would cut muscle. If necessary, it would cut bone. It was a sharp instrument. And he says, that's what this Word has, has in it. And... and I'm getting into the Watergate. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. What I'm talking about is the refuse gate is about discernment. It's about being people that are able to call something good and call something bad and not say, I I like their smile. Listen, I just saw this weekend, it happens to be that the, the second part of Twilight is coming out. 
the saga. And it's about a vampire, and it's about a girl who falls in love with a Dracula, a vampire, a devil, a demon. And so they have the poster boards out there in the cinema, and the young girls are running up to the vampire. They're taking pictures with demons. That's the culture we live in. A little girl's heart desiring to run away with the vampire. Listen, don't get this strong because you won't understand that in Mexico, Jose Medieros' nephew married the most beautiful girl. They had the most extravagant, lavish wedding. And three months into their marriage, she says, I don't like being married to you. I'm leaving to Europe because I want to find somebody who's a vampire. They want to live what they're watching in the movies. And so you guys think it's not real. It's, it's happening in our generation. And why? Because there's not one Christian person willing to stand up to call something doo-doo. And, and know why it's doo-doo. And take it the full route. And so we're either going to be the people of God or we're going to confuse the heck out of everybody. All throughout the scripture, you see God drawing these lines. God telling his, his leaders, hey, cut the pie. Slice the pie. Bring it its full route. I want to tell you something. The challenge at the refuse gate is to sit there and be able to know what pleases God and what doesn't please God. And there's a process not to eliminate, because I'm sure that through my life, uh, there have been occasions where I have dropped the ball utterly and ugly. So God, God is not a quick trigger to get rid of you. He has put too much investment into you to sit there and say, ah, you're out of here. Oops, you lost. You're messed up. No, no, listen to me. A hundred million times that you confess your sin, he is just and faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you and to make you whole and ready to go up. You're his son. And he would never forsake you and he would never leave you for anything in the world. But that does not mean that those who persist to do evil, those who pursue doing that which is wrong, after they've been told once, after they've been told twice, after they've been told several times, and they persist in their sin, Paul says, I've given them up to Satan. That's, that's powerful. I've never done that. I've given people up to their foolishness. I've given people up to their rebellion and their disobedience, but I can't foresee me saying, get them, devil. Get them. And so I'm reminded of Proverbs 17, 11, where it says, the, an evil man seeks only to rebel. An evil person is the one that after being told several times to do something, he's, he could care less. And listen to me. The, the opportunity we have is that God will approach us and say, listen, adjust. Fix this. Slow down. Get, 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 get on course. You've missed the mark. You're in sin. But here we see in Proverbs 17, 11, that he says there's some people that are outright evil. And guess what? They don't belong in the church. They don't belong in the gathering of those that want God's best. The Bible says, I will throw you up out of my mouth if you don't get it right. You're right in the middle. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're sitting right in the middle. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And it's a fearful thing for God to do that. I, I've seen it too many times. People who sit in, 
in the front row of church and they laugh and they giggle and they don't think that just in one second they're going to miss the fellowship of God's people for a life of wandering. Look what it says here in Proverbs 17, 11. An evil man seeks only to rebel. That means when you tell him, hey, that's bad, he's going that way. When you tell him it's good, he's saying, I'm not going that way. So what happens? For this reason, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. It's talking about a demon. For the demons, and, and, and listen to me, this is the goodness of God. What Paul says, I'm going to give him over to Satan, so the guy freaks out and runs back. And says, I love you, Pastor. Well, what's, where's these affections coming from? Because I met Satan. I just was face to face with the fact that he was going to take me to hell. A man came to this church years ago, and he started committing adultery with his wife. And we called him once, we called him twice. Finally, we asked him not to come back to the church. And guess what happened? Three o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. Pastor, help, Pastor. I'm like, what's going on? Pastor, the demons are pulling my leg. I said, I told him, I said like this, and you thought your sin was a freebie? And you thought you're going to hang out with Satan and it wasn't going to cost you that he's going to drag you to hell? Do we actually think, has, has our conscience come to the fact that you can do wrong and no consequences? Listen, you're deceived. The rebel seeks only the evil man, that guy who's messed up, seeks only rebellion. And therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. When Paul is giving him over to Satan, I don't know what that's like. I hope I never do that in my life. But when that happens, I would gather that Paul is saying for the saving of his soul. So he'll eventually come back running and say, I don't want to go in that direction anymore the rest of my life. So here, the process of the necessity of the refuse gate. And guys... We need to embody this. We need to restore the refuse gate. We need to seek the, the, the care and the protection and the concern of God's people. This is the whole purpose. I'm, let's go a little bit more practical. In the times of the Hebrew city of Jerusalem, there were, all of a sudden there would be plagues and epidemics and, and pandemics and all this stuff of outbreaks of viruses, leprosy and stuff like that. Guess what? As soon as they came over and saw something that was rotten, the Jewish people used to smell it. And if it provoked them to throw up, they knew it was really severely contaminated, virally bacterial. And if you didn't remove that through the refuse gate quick, it was going to start a pandemic, and the mom would die, the son would die, the sister would die, the church would die. And when in the church we start uh, covering sin and making it okay, we have spiritual death taking place in our very presence. And so God does not want a city, his city, the city of peace, to be totally obliterated by the conditions of sin and rebellion and disobedience. In our first church where we got saved, the pastor's daughter decided to fall in love with a bass player. She, she was, a, she was the, the pastor's daughter, and she looked over to the bass player and says, I think he's cute. I think I like him. There was only one problem or two problems. She was married, and he was married. And they broke off from their spouses, and they married each other, and they continued to lead worship in the church. I don't want to tell you that everybody of the congregation started doing the same thing because it's pandemic. It's pandemic. 
it, it starts flowing over to those around us. And so, obviously, the, the, it became a disaster, the story of those families that, that were walking in destruction because they decided it was, it was no different than the world. The world does it. Well, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm attracted. The, the justific- I don't know the justifications. I know that it's not from God. I know that that causes severe loss in, 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 in millions of things that God wants to do in our midst. So here it goes. We see that God has called us to this reality. We, we see that God calls us to, to be careful, to, to call things the way they should. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. One of the verses in this, in this chapter. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away evil of your doings before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Get, get whatever is called evil. We, we trained up our children since they were two years old. We look at them. They'd come with toys from McDonald's and from Burger King, from school, from relatives that would give us ugly things. And we would ask them, is that good or bad? Our kids were like, brother, this is ugly. Okay, where does ugly things go? And they'd say, the trash. And so they would take the ugly thing to the trash. Now they're 16, 15, and 14, and they, they have a healthy refuse gate in their life. They don't participate with things that are twisted, wicked, and evil. They don't come near it. They don't befriend these things. Because the devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There's no games there. Now, trying to teach the youth years ago about discerning between right and wrong, I built a 16-foot cage. It was all glass, and I put a 12-foot python inside of it. And so we covered it. So I brought it to youth group. We set it up in front of the youth. We said, youth, you do not want to find yourself in a moment of time confusing good with bad because it might be the last time. So we grabbed a 20-pound rabbit because the snake hadn't eaten for a while, and we put it in its cage. And the rabbit didn't have a clue, didn't have an idea where it was or where it was going, and stepped over to the snake and kissed the snake right on the nose. And the snake returned the favor and wanted to make sure if it was a live rabbit and kissed the rabbit on the nose. And you can tell by the youth that were there. There's over 50 youth. They were freaking out, my friend. You know why? Because they knew what was going to happen. They knew in one twinkling of an eye, that rabbit would be utterly surprised with the rude awakening of no longer being in this world. So when that snake went back and grabbed it by the head and started consuming that rabbit, that rabbit started going backwards with all four legs and screaming and screeching. But it was too late. And for some of you, you flirt, you mess around, you flirt, you mess around, and it's going to be too late. You become accustomed you, you become familiar. You said nothing happened and I've already done it twice. Listen, you don't have an idea. You have lost the fear of God. God has warned us that he roams about like a roaring lion. And guess what, guys? I don't want to have an extended family where uh, I have to tell my kids, a lion got him. A lion got him. And the testimony of this church cannot be, a lion got him. Long before the lion gets them, I want them somewhere else, far away. 
They persist in rebellion and disobedience. They undermine the word of God. They have lost the weight of honor to honor God and his commandments. And I told this woman that was coming here and she was flirting with sin. I said, listen, do me a favor. Don't come back to church so when they kill you, we don't have a loss in the family through murder. You know what happened? A month later, this guy was chasing her down a condominium in Miami Beach with a knife, a butcher knife to kill her. And I thank the Lord so incredibly that she had never, she, he didn't come in here looking for her. He didn't cross us in this atmosphere. This is an atmosphere of life, not to tread death in this place. We've had hitmen try to come here to kill guys for debts that they've owed. And I've told them, listen, get the hell out of here the, to the hitmen. We don't want this to be our reality. This is a land of life a land of blessing, a land of honor to those who could distinguish between right and wrong. For those, those that, I remember a story, I said, Pastor, you're too strict. I said, no, this is a matter of death and life. And this guy says, and I thought I was too strict, and, and David wouldn't allow people in his castle that were lame and, and, and deaf and dumb and, and mute and blind, he didn't want those people there because they were dangerous in battle. They were dangerous because they didn't see, they didn't hear, they couldn't confront the enemy. They're like petting a, a freaking Leviathan. They, they, they bring their, their, their worldliness into the church. It's not to be. So then what happens next is a, a, a guy told me a story. He says, I got drafted to go to Vietnam, and I didn't want to go to the war. So every time I, I, I went through boot camp, and they, they taught me a whole bunch of things, and then they, they said, who wants to throw themselves off a helicopter? And I raised my hand. I want helicopter throwing off myself training. And so he raised his hand. Three months into that process, uh, comes the next time, and, and they say, okay, you finished your course. Now it's time to go to war. Um, who, and, and they said, who wants to train um, anti-tank missile uh, training? And he raised his hand. And he says, I want to go to training. I don't want to go to war. So he kept on going through training, and, and they wouldn't send him to war. He came back from that training, and they asked him, who wants to learn how to unmine, yeah, diffuse a landmine? And he says, I'd rather do that than go to war. So he was doing training, training, training. But he tells me, this man, he tells me, when I was in landmine training, there was a man who would never come to class. When he would come, he would leave early. He wouldn't pay attention when he stayed, and we had the final exam, and we had to go uncover a landmine. And I tell him, listen, get out of here. I don't want you anywhere near me so that when you explode and your blood and guts go everywhere, I am not moved. You go over there, and when you make your mess, I'll pray for you, and, and we'll bury you. But I don't want you next to me. Guess what happened? I took off over there next to a tree to unearth a mine, and he blew up. And still, the effects of that, that force moved this guy. So these are serious things. When you demise because you didn't take God serious, you're taking your son, you're taking your future, you're taking your daughters, your granddaughters, and look next to you. That's who you're taking. And if you don't care for the person who's next to you, you need to go find where to care, something else. Um, so in this process, God has the refuse gate. How many are getting this? Because we're about to finish here. God wants us to get it, 
Because in 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul writes again, if you are in presence of one called the brother, if you're, in, you're not to keep company with him. Even if he's called a brother, if, if, uh, if he's a fornicator and, and a drunkard and, and he's living sexual immorality and he's, he's living his rebellion, don't even eat with such a person. Oh, that's not love, pastor. No, love is you standing up for truth. Love is for you taking the, the you know, like I said, the times that I've had to stand up that people don't even know the caliber of love. My next door neighbor, I said, you know what? No pastor in town would, would do what I'm going to do, but I, I will not hang out with you so that you would understand what your condition is. Because I'm not going to laugh through your divorce and he got divorced. I'm not going to laugh through your backsliding and he's backslidden. I'm not going to sit there and think it's normal that you should walk outside of God's covering. It's super dangerous. And I love you more than you could ever think to stand up and say, I'm not going to sit with you while you're going to go through these destructions. And so in that regard, we go to Psalm 101, and you'll see that this was the heart of God and his servants all the while. This is not my heart. This is the heart of God. This is not your church has a high standard. Listen to me. We have a God who has an incredible life based on the incredible standards that he has given us. And we're not to water them down. We're not to play with these things. In Psalm 101, to be radical for Christ is to understand what it says there in verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I'm not going to sit there and think things are normal when they're twisted. That's what wicked means. I hate the work of all those who fall away. It shall not rub off on me. Those are strong words. Does it say hate there? You sit there and see someone doing things that are an abomination to God and laugh at it and think it's no big deal and you don't feel the sentiments and the emotion of our God? He says, I hate those who are slip sliding away. They, this stuff will not rub off on me. Verse 4. Anyone with a perverted heart shall depart from me. I will not become acquainted and familiar with things that are wicked. I don't want to have that stuff on me. I don't want to be known as somebody who hangs out with lukewarm people, with foolish people, with ignorant people. I told my nieces last week, if a guy doesn't have a relationship with God, you should not even acknowledge his presence. If he doesn't love Jesus Christ with all his heart, God forbid you fall in love with a fool. You will suffer the rest of your life. And we got good-looking guys here anyways. My boys, world changers. That's who you want to be with. That's who you want to acknowledge. And there it goes on. You guys are choking there. Verse 5. Whoever secretly is talking behind his brother's back, him I will destroy. Who is this? Is this Satan talking? This is God. God is not going to stand there and see you defying the body of Christ. 
He's not going to sit there and, and be complacent as you are opening your mouth against the interest of God. The one who has a haughty look, a proud heart, him I will not put up with. Guys, this is not me. This, is, this has nothing to do with me. As we sit in the presence of God, he scans the hearts of his people, and, and he, he loves on them, he calls them, he rebukes them, he corrects them, and then he says, out of my presence. The high priest used to fall dead in the presence of God. We can't, we can't expect to come to church and, and come over and over and, and nothing happen without regards to the condition of our heart. Verse 6. My eyes will, and, and remember when the Bible is talking about eyes, it's talking about favor, the face of God looking at you, taking care of you, protecting you. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land. They will dwell with me. He who walks in a mature, perfect way, responding adequately, he shall serve me. This is, this is the conditions God is promoting for the increase of your role in this place, in the kingdom. In the house of God. But verse 7 says, He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. And I've seen this happen. People test God. How far can I get without God, my, my consequences reaching me? How far can I go where I can put on a front? And this is a personal dealing. He who works deceit will soon find themselves not dwelling in my house. He who tells lies shall not continue my presence. I want to serve you, Lord. You don't want to serve God. If you wanted to serve God, you'd show up. I, I want to be in a ministry. No, you don't. You never are faithful in your ministry. And you're not going to be serving God. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. And then it goes on to say, I will destroy. This sounds like Satan. I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I might cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Guys, do you understand how God has made incredible stride in washing our sins, in cleansing us, in giving his word, in giving his rebuke and correction? He's given us all these things so that we can lavishly get to where we need to be. I'm telling you, a mound of dung, that's what I was. Just a mound of, of a total worthlessness, stinky, f filth. And, and, and guess what? His grace, his mercy, his love, his patience has been freely bestowed on me. And so it has high worth now. I don't, I don't treat these things little. And, and he has all the patience you need and all the love you need and all the grace and all the spirit, all of it that you need so that you might walk. But listen to me. Be careful. Because it's a fearful thing to serve the Lord God. It's a fearful thing for one man that wasn't removed, and actually he was removed eventually, but one man that was in sin stopped the whole nation from going on with victory. There are people here that are waiting for their breakthrough, and they can't get it because there's conditions. And so I, I, will, I will prolong. I, God desires no man to be lost he, he desires to all be saved and come to repentance. And this is God's longing heart. But when there's somebody that is, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 18.1, after many rebukes, if, if there's no correction, it's only destruction left. 
Let me find that verse real quick. Because it's really powerful that we would see the mercies of God being bestowed upon us time and time again, and then despising this matter, and then finding ourselves to be the object of total destruction. The times that God will correct us, the time that God will, will draw that line between good and, and bad. Let's, let's go there real quick in Ezekiel. We'll get that verse on Proverbs later on. He says this. He says in Ezekiel 44, 23, my leaders are to teach my people the difference between holy and unholy. They shall cause them to discern the difference between the unclean and the clean. People are, are to draw a line between what's right and wrong and encourage those people to pursue the, the call of God, the ministry of God. Guys, are you still carrying the cross of Christ? Are you denying yourself? That's the hallmark of a true Christian. We're not indulging in everything. We're, we're coming to decide what is right, what is wrong, and embrace that which is right. We're asking God, God, show me the difference. Show me the difference between light and darkness, right and wrong, holy and unclean. Let's go ahead and stand tonight, and, and that, that whole chapter of the refuse gate is just that. It's, it's cleaning the church. And you know why God tells me these things? So that I can let it come into my life. I'm not, I'll tell you what, half the time that I'm sharing, I'm not concerned about who listens or who doesn't listen. I'm cared about me. I'm concerned about me. And I'm preaching the stuff, and, and I'm receiving the stuff from the Spirit of God. So we ask the ushers to come forward, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper tonight. I want to pray before we close and start the Lord's Supper. And you know something, guys? Love truth. It'll protect you. Love honor. It'll serve you. Love correction and rebuke. I'm telling you, one of the favorite parts of my life is all the times that I got a whooping. Why? Because it carved out of my life all the junk. It came forcefully. It came as sharp as a double-edged belt. And, and you know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. The Bible says it removes iniquity from the heart. To those who respond. Imagine I rebuked a man last month and he says, you were too loud, the volume. It's like, brother, God, it says he whispers in, in when it feels good, he's whispering, but when God is shouting, it hurts. And when you're going through pain, that's, that's God calling your attention. And as we grow in these matters, as we grow in these matters, the church will be cleansed. It will be purified. They'll know that this is a house of honor. This doesn't have to be a witch hunt. It's not, you're chewing gum too loud. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about life or death matters. I'm talking about issues of understanding. We have patience. To lose something economically is nothing, but to lose the soul of man because he hasn't been rebuked, because he hasn't been called to his attention, that's, that's devastating.
And I just want to close your eyes and just imagine your loved ones and your family members who saw your bland, mediocre, lukewarm Christianity and weren't moved to conviction of repentance. And all because you continue to laugh at their sin and their indifference and their apathy. And they've never heard a stern rebuke. They never heard a time where, where this stuff is serious. I remember Brandon and Nicholas and Joshua when they were leading their next door neighbor to the Lord. They must have been four, five, and six. We had just gotten back from Nicaragua and from Mexico, and they were they were witnessing to their neighbors. It says, Man, you gotta ask Jesus in your heart. This is a five-year-old and a four-year-old. And one of the neighbors, their two brothers, one of them said yes, and the other one says, no, I just want to watch cartoons with you guys. Not into giving my heart to the Lord. And, and Brandon was the shortest and the smallest of them all. He looked up to the guy, he goes, hey, this is serious. What we're doing here is serious. And I want to tell you guys here at Spring of Life, what we're doing here is super serious. Super serious. Father, we pray that you would bless the congregation, Lord, as we participate in the Lord's Supper tonight, Lord. We don't want to participate without knowing your heart. We know your love. You gave it all for us, Lord. We know your indignation, like Paul says, that somebody who would make another man fall would fill him up with fiery indignation. Put that fire in our hearts, Lord. Put a zeal for the things of God in our heart. Let us be the ones that... Re Restore the refuse gate in every church in the world. The seriousness of the things of God would be our passion and our pursuit. And pray, Father God, that this seed would birth a harvest that would please you. And that we could speak bold things. We could be bold in our calling others' attentions, O oh God, and how they causing the stumbling of some. Allow us to continue to pursue the best with your spirit with your strength Lord not in our own self-righteousness allow us to pursue the things of God because it might be the very last time we have an opportunity to do so and let this word settle in our hearts as a good seed planted in a good heart we pray in Jesus name amen